Hey everyone, just a quick note before we start the podcast, uh, as you're about to hear, unfortunately for whatever reason, <laughs> when we recorded the podcast, it recorded on my computer mic and not on my microphone, so my voice will sound a little unbearable today, I apologize for that, uh, the information is still good, I promise you, uh, so stick around, we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. You can find us all of our work at TexasFootball.com. And you can become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we got Ishmael Johnson. Ish, how you doing, man? Doing well, even though apparently my NFL team's just deciding to get COVID and possibly play a game on no practice. So that's great. So, what, <laughs> what, like, I, I know that it's, uh, I mean, look, I know that we knew heading into the year that this was going to be part of this, Yeah, but it's, uh, it's a little weird that it's actually, like, maybe happening. Yeah, and it's a little weird that, uh, uh, so I'm of two minds of it, right? Right, like, right, right, right. Obviously, the thing, this, this was obviously going to happen especially when you don't have a bubble system like the NBA, like people, players and coaches are just going to attract COVID because they obviously have lives outside of the times that they're in the facility and, and, yes. and not playing. So this was always a, a possibility. The thing, like the most, what I'm hearing is apparently the game's going to get moved to Monday night. Um, right now, that's the plan at least, right? If, if no more players test positive and no more coaches test positive, the thing, I think it was three players and five coaches on the Titans have tested positive. Seems like a lot. Um, right. Uh, so far, no Vikings players who, of course, the Titans played. Um, nobody on the Vikings has tested positive. So right now, it's just monitoring Tennessee. Um, what the plan is right now is to move the game to Monday night. And the plan right now is, of course, that the Titans have shut down completely their facilities. Completely. And so, right now, theoretically, the Titans will be playing a Monday night game with no practice. And oh, man. so, as a fan, obviously, that's frustrating because that's completely unfair to the Titans. But I also acknowledge that that is probably most mostly fair to the other 31 teams. <laughs> because, hey, you have to shut down. That sucks. But that doesn't mean that the Steelers have to shut down, right? right like, that's, right, that's, right. You're, you have to monitor your own situations. And, and to keep things level across the playing field, that's kind of just how it has to be but i just hate the idea that a team any team but it just how it happens to be my favorite team but i hate the idea that a team would have to play after zero practice and zero game planning on field game planning at least um it's just completely wild to me but again it's it's one of the things that you just kind of have to go with 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 this season right i i just feel like now now granted i mean we, we can jump in and say obviously this is like, you know, college football is a business, but this is like explicitly a business, right? Like this mm-hmm. is explicitly right, right. like, uh, you know, okay, we're, we're just going to do this. And the only thing that matters is that we get paid. Um, right. But man, it seems like it would be bad for player health and safety to be like, you didn't practice to play football this week, but right. you should try to do it. Right. And like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I what it comes down to is I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like it seems like this is a bad contingency plan, you know, to just mm-hmm. be like we're gonna push it a day because, you know, that's the thing, right? Is like you know, give 
the, the smallest amount of credit to the Big 12, right? They built in all these extra weeks specifically sure. for the purpose of, hey, we'll probably have to shut some down and, and try to reschedule, right? And yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the primary hope is that everyone's okay, right? And everything mm-hmm. is, sure, is safe, sure. um, you know, as far as we know, that's the case. I but don't. I don't know if the the coaches have been like revealed. I know right. their defensive play caller um, Shane Bowen missed the game because of a positive, um, missed the Vikings game. And I know the players are da- the starting nose tackle Daquan Jones, their long snapper Bo Brinkley, and a practice squad tight end. I forgot his name, but yeah, yeah. Um, those are the players. Hopefully, I mean, obviously the the primary concern is. Obviously, they're a primary concern as well, but obviously the coaches, you know, if you get an elderly coach or somebody who's not as physically right. um, uh, durable as, as a player is, um, those are the, the bigger concerns. So those, the coaches haven't been made um, uh, knowledgeable, So or the we don't know the coaches yeah, uh, right now as yet. far, right, right, public. So we don't know, but yeah, it's just, this is... <laughs> It's it's weird having my team be like the litmus test to see how it's gonna be because it's like all right are they gonna forfeit is this gonna game game gonna get moved to a Tuesday you know it's like all these different possibilities are coming up now and we're still hoping that nobody else tests tests positive right right so gonna be a weird situation <laughs> anyway, yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> anyway so back to college football yes yeah, so we are the republic of uh, of football but we typically talk about college football so uh you know one other thing um one other note uh houston versus memphis which was a game that was scheduled for september 19th i think it was uh they that game has now been rescheduled for december 5th uh that was something that we were keeping an eye on you know everybody's kind of said like we're gonna postpone this and and reschedule it and you know thank goodness the the ac has a couple of weeks at the end of the year because they kind of built in a normal schedule they didn't really make any schedule changes which is obviously a little weird but at the same time in this case kind of helps them so they will be playing mm-hmm. that game it will be at memphis uh again well, we'll speaking of memphis we'll, we'll talk about them in just a second uh, as it pertains to smu who they're set to play this weekend but memphis has had all sorts of covid issues to start the year and hopefully that will not be the case by the time these games come around but that game is back on the schedule so it should be a pretty good one. Um, I think that if you're Houston, you feel a lot better playing Memphis later in the year after you have a little time to develop. So, uh, But at the same time, I, I'm sure that Houston would have liked to have played a game by this point. Yeah, definitely. So let's go ahead and jump right into our guest. Uh, we've got Damon Sales on the program, the managing editor over at the SMU rival site, The Hill Topics. Uh, he's going to help us preview this SMU versus Memphis game, what I think could be one of the games of the season. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back with you guys after the break. We're now happy to welcome on a special guest. we got Damon Sales, the managing editor of the Hill Topics, the SMURivals.com site. Damon, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's good to hear from you. How's everything? Uh, everything's great. Everything's great. You know, just uh, just surviving. And you know, so obviously this upcoming week, we have a, a really huge game. I mean, one of the games of the year, I think, between SMU and Memphis. Um, you know, what are your first impressions of this game? I think it's one of those where you look at last year and uh, you remember everything that uh, last year brought to the table. You know, you had an undefeated SMU team going against a, a favored uh, Memphis team at the time. It was a game that was played on national TV, played on ABC, nighttime. Uh, you know, College Game Day was in the building uh, at Beale Street. So, I mean, everything was there. And the game uh, lived up to the expectations, 102 points total 
So now you look at this year, and we're 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 in Dallas. We're gonna have some have some fun at Gerald J. Ford, uh, and talking with with the the staff, the SMU staff. It seems like this game has been circled on their calendar for quite some time. And uh, no disrespect to to Stephen F. Austin, but there were a few guys who were talking about uh, what needs to be done against Memphis um, during, I guess, during that uh, that Stephen F. Austin game. So. This is something that they've they've definitely had circled on their calendar, and uh, it should be a really really good game. It should be an entertaining game. A lot of athletes are going to be on that football field. Uh, the only thing that that we're, we're we're hoping and praying doesn't happen is if COVID rears its ugly head. And uh, but from from what I've been told, seems like uh, all is well with Memphis. Uh, they're they're going to have the guys come, and uh, we should get a football game. So uh, it's going to be a win for everybody. One of the things that it- or looking at the season, I guess the season schedule as it was scheduled, you kind of would have hoped to obviously get that TCU game in um, for SMU. Now that through three games, there's I still I still think there's some mystery to what SMU is. Obviously, you had that sloppy game against Texas State. They obviously won, but you know you could kind of attribute that maybe the first game of the season kind of jitters, getting the rust off, um, you know, missing spring camp, all those things. Then you get UNT and SFA and you're not really getting, I would say, an opponent up to SMU's caliber until this week. You know, what are some things that you're looking for, Some maybe some uh, dark spots maybe on the team where you're like, I'm still not quite sure what this team is that, you know, maybe could rear its ugly head against a team like Memphis who's up to their caliber? I really think you hit the nail on the head, you know, when we're talking about uh, you know the the current schedule uh, that SMU's had to play. This is going. This is easily going to be their their biggest test of the year. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like um, in these first three games, the secondary has definitely stepped its play up uh, mm-hmm. from game one to game three. Um, this is going to be a test for 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 the secondary. You know, Memphis comes in. You know, Brady White. Uh, you know, doing what he does at quarterback. He's got all of those those options at receiver, all of the skill position guys. So this is going to be a big test for guys like Brandon Stevens, um, you know, Armani Johnson, and even Brandon Crossley, who's come in as a, uh, a transfer from Colorado State. He's really put in some some quality minutes. Uh, he, he's not a starter, but he he's definitely uh, playing starter minutes. And this is going to be an opportunity for all of them just to see exactly where they are. You know, I've, I've been calling this game kind of a litmus test uh, for the year, so to speak, you know, and, and we still got a lot of games left uh, if, if all goes planned. But uh, this is going to be the test for for, for SMU's defense. Uh, you know, offensively, I think that uh, it, it's going to be a par for the course type of deal. This could be a chance for this offense to really come in and establish dominance against a team that is still, you know, still somewhat rusty. You know, they've only played one game this year and. You know, that was back at the beginning of, of September. So this this can be a real good chance for this SMU offense to click. And, um, you know, one thing that I'm really looking forward to, and I'm hoping that we get to see it. I don't know if we're going to see it. But uh, SMU uh, is going to add a wide receiver uh, to its group now. Uh, TQ Jackson got his, uh, his waiver, his NC2A waiver approved. And, uh, you know, this is a guy uh, transferred from Arkansas. He just adds more firepower to uh, an already talented uh, wide receiver group. So um, hopefully we'll get a chance to see him. But if not, 
uh, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, Shane Bouchelle is excited about who he's got on, on the roster now. You know, Reggie Roberson, uh, Reggie Roberson Jr., excuse me, um, Danny Gray, Rasheed Rice, you know, the list continues. And the talent is definitely there. So this is going to give them a chance to really, uh, really put the, the, their foots on the necks of, of a team so to speak, uh, and you, you want to beat a team when, when they're not playing well. And this is the perfect time to do that against a Memphis team still trying to find its way, still trying to, uh, you know, to tread water, so to speak. And, you know, uh, you, you got to, you've got to handle business because if you don't uh, trust me, Memphis is good enough to come in and get the job done and uh, we'll see how it goes. That's former four-star wide receiver TQ Jackson, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, you know, when you, when you look at uh, last year's game, right. One of the things that happened, right. You know, you can point to the defense obviously, but it seems like on special teams, they really got taken advantage of. And I know that uh, I was kind of beating the drum last year. You know, this is why you have a special teams coach. This is why you have a special teams coach and, and SMU doesn't. Right. And so I'm curious, uh, what have you heard from Sonny Dykes and the SMU coaching staff about how they're trying to adjust and prevent something like that from happening this year? Yeah, you know, if you talk to Sonny, Sonny's going to be the first to tell you, that, you know, and it's, it's, it's going to sound coach speak because we hear it all the time, but Sonny's going to be the first to tell you that uh, in, order, in order to win a football game, you have to win all three uh, facets of the game. That's offense, defense, and special teams. And uh, so far this year, They've done a really, really good job in special teams. Um, you know, Chris Chris Nagar has come in and been such a such a boost uh, from from the kicking game and you know the kickoff team. You know, this was a team that didn't have a lot of touchbacks at all last year, and uh, Nagar has has really uh, you know, pun intended, I guess, really put his foot into everything uh, for this team. So. Field position obviously is going to be key uh, for 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 you know the SMU defense, but at the same time, uh, if you keep putting footballs in the back of the end zone for touchbacks, that team's not going to have that opportunity to come out and try to return it. So that's just one less thing for SMU to have to worry about. Uh, Nagar obviously is going to have to continue doing this, and uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem. But uh, you know. From a from a, a special teams perspective, it's it's like night and day compared to uh, to last year. What do you think? Um, what are you hearing about SMU's game planning for Memphis's running game? Because obviously, you know, no Kenneth Gainwell. Um, I'm forgetting the running back also who had the big game against him last year. Uh, he's playing in the NFL now. Um, we don't know much about Rodriguez Clark. I know he had over 100 yards against Arkansas State, but. Obviously, Brady White is the guy for that offense, but a big reason why he was able to have such success is that you have you had to game plan for guys like Kenneth Gainwell last year. Um, without those guys this year and still kind of an unknown as to who they have in that backfield, you know, what are you hearing from SMU as far as game planning for that offense? No, honestly, when, when, we, when we talk about SMU and just game planning, mm-hmm. uh, the, the answer tends to come, it tends to come back to the same thing, and that is, uh, we're going to control what we're going to control. And, you know, while people love to say, well, you're not really answering the question. Oh, you know, technically you are. If, if you're playing sound defense and you're playing, uh, you're playing technique, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, your D-line is, is containing, uh, making sure that uh, those holes are jammed, if your linebackers are containing the outsides, uh, you know, if, if your, your, your defensive backs are, are properly playing cover two, cover three, if they're properly uh, uh, adjusting in nickel coverages, 
you know, which all may sound like, uh, you know, it may sound like trigonometry to some, but I mean, these guys, this is what they do on a regular basis. So if they can just, uh, just stay par for the course and continue to do what they know they can do what, and do what they're supposed to do, I think they should be okay. But, uh, you know, we, we have to remind ourselves, you know, this is a Memphis team that won the, uh, the AAC last year. This is the Memphis team that advanced to the Cotton Bowl last year. So, you know, you, when, you have, uh, when you have the studs uh, returning, you know, like a Brady White, you've got to be, uh, you've got to be on point. You better be on point. Otherwise, you're going to get exposed. And, you know, it's been a long time since uh, SMU has won, uh, has defeated Memphis. I believe it was 2013 was the last time that, uh, that SMU's won a uh, game against the Tigers. So, you know, that's something that they are, they're obviously going to be uh, uh, focused on. It's something that, that's in the back of their mind. But uh, tell you what, man, that, that Memphis team, it doesn't matter who's going to show up. They're going to come in technically sound. They're going to come in ready to play. So SMU's defense better do the same. Well, backing up something that you just said, actually, uh, getting back to Chris Nagar for a second, he actually has more touchbacks this year than SMU had as a team through all of last season. So, I mean, you talk about being different. That's different. You know, moving a little bit to the offense um, and and a little bit more big picture, uh, obviously Garrett Riley, the new offensive coordinator, and really from last year's team, you lose – Xavier Jones, you lose James Prochet, but you replace him with guys like Garrett Riley, uh, Danny Gray, like you mentioned, and Rasheed Rice coming back. What have you seen so far? What's kind of been the differences, and, and where do you think that uh, that this offense kind of is right now? It's a good question because when you look at the offense and you're trying to compare it to, to 2019, um, you, there's really not a lot of noticeable uh, noticeable differences, you know, now obviously, you know, there's, there's some schemes here and there that, uh, that Garrett Riley has brought to the table, but, you know, he, he was put in a, in a pretty good position where, you know, if things aren't, aren't truly broken, then don't try to fix them. And, uh, you know, as long, as long as you've got a guy like Shane Bouchelle in the backfield, uh, and as long as his offensive linemen are doing what they're supposed to do, which is, um, uh, you know, keeping his Jersey nice and clean. And I think that, that they're in a good spot because, you know, Shane is a, you know, he's a, he's a guy who he's been there. Uh, this is the second year with, 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 uh, with SMU. And what is this like his sixth year now, fifth year, sixth year now uh, uh, playing college football. So it's not like he, he, he's a rookie. It's not like he doesn't know what to do. So just give him the ball, give him protection and, 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 you know, let him kind of uh, dictate how things are, are working. That seems to have been the plan for for this Mustangs team, and it's gone it's gone quite well for them. So, um, you know, I I really feel like if you just uh, just keep everything uh, keep everything par for the course, keep everything uh, you know the way it's been, and uh, I guess most importantly, when you, when you're playing a team like Memphis, uh, you, you can't panic. Don't 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 get uh, <laughs> don't get overwhelmed, and just uh, you know. We saw it last year. I think uh, they, they, they panicked a little bit, but, uh, you know, they were 8-0 going into that game, and they weren't used to, to playing, uh, playing from behind, playing in that predicament. I think with this game, it's going to be one of those deals where, you know, they understand everything that's in front of them. They've been there. They know what to do. And uh, it's just all about taking care of home and handling business uh, before business hand- handles them. So uh, that's the plan. Uh, one of the things we always love to talk about with SMU 
we've hit on it, hit on it a couple of times. I know Shahan did a couple of stories on it last year was just their kind of whole recruiting cell and, you know, basically kind of roping off DFW in a way, a similar way to what Miami tried to do in the nineties and early two thousands with the state of Miami, um, that whole pitch. What, what are you seeing this year now that it's no longer a, a, a pitch now, now that they can actually point to last year, um, as far as just on field success, instead of just saying, Hey, yeah, we won, we won six games, you know, we're, we're good, you know, trust us, trust the process, et cetera. Now it's like, okay, now we establish ourselves as one of the premier group of five teams in the country. You know, what are you seeing as far as the recruits are saying from 2020 to now this 2021 class? Cause I'm looking now uh, at your guys page on Hill topics and it's like, okay, you got 13 commitments, but only, I think only two or three are not from the DFW area. Um, I guess if you want to count Mineola as kind of the midway point between DFW and and East Texas. But, you know, what are you seeing now from what recruits are saying from what they're hearing from SMU? Right. So, you know, first of all, 10 wins uh, says a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Without 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 speaking volumes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, the, these athletes around here, they 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 truly understand uh, what SMU is trying to do, and that's to build a program with the homegrown uh, homegrown talent, homegrown athletes. And uh, you got to give got to give a shout out to uh, to Sonny Dykes because this has kind of been his his mo uh, since since when he uh, he first arrived uh, on the hilltop. Uh, you also have to give credit to the to the assistant coaches. Uh, I mean, you know, if you look at you look at the SMU's born raised billboard campaign, uh, which you know it 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 shows off a, a lot of the the, the athletes, the, the stud athletes uh, who are from the area. You know, Shane Bouchelle from Arlington, Reggie Roberson from Mesquite, Danny Gray from South Dallas. So I mean, you know, Brandon Stevens from Plano. The list can mm-hmm. continues and continues. But when you look at that that uh, assistant coaching staff. You've got another guy, a Pleasant Grove representative, and Rashad Samples. And at 25, 26 years old, Samp is one of those guys who can still talk to these athletes, uh, you know, can can relate to these athletes. He is a he's like a superhero to a lot of these guys. And, you know, I think it's really, really cool because, you know, I still remember Samp, you know, playing at Skyline, you know, being a wide receiver uh, at, at Skyline with that outstanding core. You know, he's now grown up, uh, you know, and he's got these young guys really paying attention to everything that he says about the program. So it's easy to sell when you're when you're winning the way that they're winning. And it, it, it might be even easier to sell if you tell these athletes, hey, 10 and 3 is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this is just kind of this is where we were getting started, you know, just as long as we could use you and just imagine where we're going to be. And I, and, you know, when you, when you have a guy like, like Preston Stone commit on, uh, on national TV, you know, during the all American game, that's huge as well. You know, it gives you a lot of publicity and people are asking, well, what's going on with this SMU team? You know, and it's funny because about this time last year, everybody wanted to talk about, you know, the pony excess, you know, the, the ESPN story and the, the negativity that, that SMU used to have. Now people are talking about this offense as the new Pony Express, the mm-hmm. 2.0 version of the the uh, the Eric Dickerson and Craig James team. So uh, a game like Saturdays could help uh, with, with those comparisons. Uh, but I think just overall, when you look at where they are, uh, these recruits, they're they're definitely paying attention. They know they know what what's going on, and uh, they're excited to see SMU take it to another level. 
well, look, we put uh, SMU and Shane Bouchard on the cover of the magazine because we thought that this team could continue to be really good. But looking at the schedule, right, uh, they play number 25 Memphis this upcoming week. They still have a date later in the season with number 15 Cincinnati. But if SMU manages to win this game and look really good doing this, what is the ceiling for this team and what can be expected of them? You know, the one thing I really like about this team is that even with a, a, a win, even if it's a blowout win against Memphis, they'll celebrate for about an hour, <laughs> you know? So uh, they, they're, they're so focused on, on the, the goal at hand, and that goal is to win uh, an AAC championship. And anything less than that is, is considered failure. So um, the sky, when we look at it from the outside in, this, this, the sky's the limit for this team. I mean, the ceiling is so high. But this team, if you, if you go inside the locker room, they expect to win every game. Uh, they don't expect to, uh, they don't expect to, to take an L on, on Saturday uh, against Memphis. But at the same time, you know, they, they understand that they've got, they've got Memphis, they've got Cincinnati coming pretty soon. Navy's coming pretty soon. They've got to go to Tulane. Uh, they've got to go to Temple. There, there's, there's opportunity to really continue to showcase just how good this squad can be. So each week you've got to go one or no. And that's another thing that they love to say. It may sound, again, it may sound a little trite, a little coach speak, what have you. But you know what? One, going one and zero last year, you know, it, it pretty much helped them get to, to a ten and three record. So uh, if they can do that again this year, and uh, especially if they can do that Saturday, just to to, to beat Memphis and go four and zero, I think that you know they'll not only earn some uh, earn some national respect, but they'll also uh, just stay the course of what they're trying to do, and that's that's just to uh, you know to take care of business each and every week, and to make sure that uh, they protect home. But at the same time, they get closer and closer to that AAC championship, and that's their primary goal. Well, you can follow Damon at Damon Sales on Twitter. Find all of his work at the Hill Topics, part of the Rivals.com network. Damon, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Thanks again to Damon Sales, managing editor of the Hill Topics. Uh, and let's go ahead and get right into it, okay? Uh, we've got a very full slate. Again, things change really quick now that we finally got all of Power 5 football back. A uh, ton of games now to, to preview. So let's start uh, at 11 a.m. on ABC as the Baylor Bears travel to Morgantown, West Virginia to take on the West Virginia Mountaineers. Baylor's a three-point favorite heading into this game, uh, even though they're going on the road, and obviously even though West Virginia has played multiple games and Baylor's only played one. So, Ish, what are your first thoughts? Um, I'm wondering how much of that line is them is Vegas not being impressed by Baylor against Kansas. Um, obviously, they put their they put their foot on them in kind of the second half, but. Uh, it was still kind of – is there a word on Charlie Brewer or was it just kind of a precaution yeah, yeah, he, to take he, him out? He just came out of the game for like a second. He actually came back in with like his knee wrapped, so I just wonder if he hit his knee okay. a little weird. Like, I mean, it, right. it, it, <laughs> look, I've watched Baylor games for a great many years at this point, um, and right. I am sick and tired of Charlie Brewer's head getting hit against things. Um, right. So, And that's what it looked like, obviously, uh, when he was doing that short yardage gain against Kansas, but – it did okay. appear that that it wasn't actually like a head injury, like it looked like. Um, it it sure. appeared that that he just kind of limped off the field, came back in with the wrap, and, and was in like three plays later. Gotcha. Okay. Um, 
It's a little. It's, I, I think Baylor's going to cover fairly comfortably. Um, three is a little. Is it is it three or three and a half? It's three. Three. Three is a little. It's a little short. I know West Virginia is a much improved team. I mean, Neil Brown has that program headed in the right direction. We saw that towards the end of last year. Um, and they looked. I mean, they lost Oklahoma State, but they looked pretty okay. I think for a team that was coming off their record from last year. Um, I don't know. I'm still, there's still some, a little bit of mystery from Baylor, obviously playing only one game so far this year against a pretty bad Kansas team. Um, so maybe that's a little reason why that there's kind of a, uh, basically it's a, it's almost a toss up on a neutral field basically yep, with, yep. is what they're telling me from three. So yeah, I think it's going to be a comfortable win for Baylor, but I don't blame them for being a little bit hesitant based on what we saw. So Here's the deal, right? Baylor has, first of all, never won in Morgantown, right? And so mm, uh, mm. now now I will say you know, they've only played since 2012. And actually, you sure. know, I, I'm just running through these games really quickly. They've all been fascinating because 2012 was the 70-63 <laughs> to 63 game, the Nick Florence versus Geno's game. Uh, uh, yeah. 2014, West Virginia knocked Baylor out of the playoff with a win. Uh, 2016, mm. Baylor nearly, uh, remember they had that whole won all the six first games, lost the six second games, and uh, mm-hmm. they nearly beat West Virginia in a year when West Virginia won 10 games. 2018, <laughs> Charlie Brewer looked like he was concussed the entire game, went one for eight, and threw three interceptions. So huh. Baylor hasn't had a lot of luck <laughs> playing in 2012, was that, was, that peak, was that peak Heisman hype for Geno? Oh, my God, plum- yeah, yeah, plummeted yeah. to the oh, ground? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> it was... It was uh, I think that the set was, I think Nick Florence threw for 581 yards and Gino threw for 656. So yeah, it was, a, it was, if you've never seen that game before, I'm sure it's Those first five games of that West oh, Virginia year God. were so much fun. Fascinating. Just then amazing. they just fell off a cliff. Just amazing. Anyway. But, um, <laughs> but all that to say, uh, Baylor's had very bad luck in Morgantown, West Virginia. The one thing that I'll say gotcha. is that it is, it is such a big boost for them to go from a November game to a mm-hmm. September game in, or well, I guess October, it'll be October 3rd, but it's an October game in Morgantown. And especially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what could have been a night game to a morning game, uh, you know, because look, you're not going to get the whole effect of that crowd. You're not going to get a whole effect of like the elements really tearing you down. Like it just completely right. changes the dynamics of the game. In my opinion, um, I actually wasn't surprised that the line was this small, uh, just because, again, I don't think that we know anything about Baylor right now. And yeah. West Virginia last year nearly beat Baylor. It was a 17-14 ball game. And yeah. I don't think that Baylor has proven that they've completely revamped the things that caused them to be in that game last year, You know, namely the offensive line, right? The Stills brothers went crazy against, mm-hmm. uh, against the Baylor offensive line. But I do think Baylor's better. Uh, I expect the timing on the passing routes to be a little bit better this week, so I do think Charlie Brewer will have a better game. Uh, I am really curious, and actually this is one of the more fascinating games of the weekend to me because I am very curious to see now uh, Baylor's defense going against a good quarterback in Jared Dagey who's been very mm-hmm. good through his first two games um, I'm very curious to see you know how do they match up because uh, because look against Jalen Daniels last week uh, the Kansas quarterback I think that they looked a little shaky at times in the first half at least so I'm curious to yeah. see if they can kind of keep it up for four quarters I, I do think Baylor's gonna win this game and cover but uh, but yeah I, I think it's gonna be a little bit of a dogfight there mm-hmm. definitely same here so moving on, uh, we got another really interesting morning game. The University of Texas uh, hosts TCU 11 a.m. on Fox. Mm. 
UT, a 12-point favorite heading in. 12? Really? 12. Yeah. Um. <sighs> yeah, no, but TCU covers that. I'm sorry. Um, I think... <sighs> God, that's that's a hard that's a hard read, because part of me wants to say that Texas always has one of those early season sloppy games like they had last week, where they look like they probably should lose, and in the past they have lost uh, Maryland um, to those kind of in those kind of games, those shootout games where they where the defense just completely lets the floodgates open early on. Um, and part of me still doesn't want to believe in TCU's really found the answers on offense, but. I feel like they found something in the second half against Iowa State. And I just think that, you know, a full game of Max Duggan doesn't get him in that early hole. And they look pretty, they looked pretty good. And I don't know if they went outright. I don't think so. But I, I, I think they cover that. I don't know. Like watching that second half of the, of the Iowa State game, I'm just like, I, I don't see a bad football team. I see a team that can absolutely hang around and probably give some people a scare in Austin. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I don't see a bad football team in TCU. I see a disorganized football team. And sure. I do think that now having a game under their belts is going to help. The other thing that I'll mention, obviously Max Duggan will start the game uh, or is expected to at least. Uh, Mm -hmm. Terrell Cooper is going to be back on the defensive line and their Mm -hmm. defensive line was garbage last week. So I think that adding him back is going to be a big deal. Uh, We're going to see more Marcel Brooks is the word, the LSU transfer. Zach Mm -hmm. Evans is going to play in this game. I expect uh, JD Spielman to also play a bigger role in this game. Like I, I, think that the TCU team that we saw last week and the team that we see this week are going to be very different. Now, will that make a difference? I have no idea, right? It's hard to say. You know, there were so many issues with this TCU team last week. But the other thing that I'll mention, right, is that Gary Patterson is 6-2 and against Texas since joining the Big 12. Like, Mm. this isn't an exception thing, right? Like, like Texas winning these games has been the exception. Their only two wins... We're in 2018 and 2013 when both years they had a chance at the Big 12 championship. Every other year they lose. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and again, like, I think that what this game is going to come down to is whether, you know, TCU obviously tried to revamp their offense a little bit. Uh, I'm curious to see whether, you know, they continue to go four wide, if they continue to, to pressure the ball down the field. Because that's how you have to beat this Texas team, in my opinion, is you have to beat them down the field. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know if Max Duggan can do it. Uh, he did last year in, in one of the dumbest games I've seen. But, right. uh, but <laughs> I was yeah. just I was just going to bring up last year because, yeah. like, you look at Max Duggan, you know, obviously he had his ups and downs and we, you know, we, we really didn't have a firm grasp on what he was at the end of the year. But I remember every ga- every big game, he did something. Right, like against Texas, against Baylor, against Oklahoma. Like, I'm looking at his Oklahoma game. So he didn't throw the ball well, but he had 100 yards rushing on the ground. Um, And they, I I believe that was a four-point game. Let me see. Uh, Yeah, four-point game, 28-24 Oklahoma. Against Baylor, he only threw for 140 yards, but I remember, like, he was in positions to win that game, right? There were some moments where you're like, oh, this guy's potentially can do this. He stepped out, don't at me. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Um, and then uh, and then against Texas, two seventy three, uh, which is one of his se- uh, season highs from last year. It was his best and game he had, for sure. Best game, yeah. And then he had eighty uh, eighty three or seventy two yards on the ground. Excuse me. Um, and that was a that was a, a narrow ten point. Like it, was, it felt like a narrow ten point game, and TC was very much in that game for much of, for much of it. Um, obviously, Baylor was a three overtime game. Like he he steps up in these games against big time opponents, and we saw last week he looks comfortable against good teams. Iowa State's a good team. They didn't look very good for uh, for chunks of that game, but they are one of the contenders in the Big 12. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I don't know. I feel like a double-digit deficit or a double-digit spread is a little bit disrespectful to what we know, not only about Gary Patterson, but what we've seen from TCU and big games against good teams. Yeah, uh, the one thing that I'll mention that cannot be repeated this week is uh, I was told that apparently one of TCU's tackles uh, per pro football focus had a .8 pass blocking grade. So that's not going to cut it. Point eight. <laughs> I didn't even know it went that low, right? They did. I was about to say, they yeah. do those grades that low. Yeah, I, I I assumed it was like a scale score, right? I assumed it was 1 to 100. They forgot, Apparently. yeah, they forget, or they <laughs> forgot the number in front. <laughs> it, yeah, so uh, let, let's just say that, right? That can't oh, repeat. God. That that yeah. that probably will not cut it. So, um, but again, yeah. and also, we, I mean, th- obviously, throw out a throw out a shout to TCU secondary as well. Probably the the best. I mean, the best safety combo in the nation. Definitely. Obviously, in the Big Twelve, like that's going to cause some issues. Um, I still think Sam Ellinger right. is going to be fairly comfortable because two safeties can only do so much um, right, when you're right. having to rely on a lot of inexperience at corner. Right, right, right. And and that was one thing too. Right, is that you know and and. TCU safeties are, are obviously really good, and they're especially good against the pass, right? They kind of struggled yeah. against the run last week. Um, mm-hmm. it, not not a lot, not like to be concerning, but for any by any means. I mean, it was other people missing tackles, but uh, but that's one thing too is that Texas has been really really good through the air, and they've been fine on the ground. So I think that they're mm-hmm. ne- going to need to be more than fine on the ground in order to beat this TCU team. So. Let's uh, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we got an eleven thirty game, UTSA at UAB on stadium. Ugh, I hate it when these conference USA games move to stadium. Uh, <laughs> and UAB, actually, can you guess this line? Okay, um, it's in UAB. Yes, that you are at UAB. Um, God, I don't know. I'm gonna say fourteen. Twenty and a half. Twenty and a half. Okay, okay. I'm not terribly shocked by that. Yeah. Uh, so obviously UAB, they have a 32 point win over South Alabama, who had looked good before that last week. Didn't look, mm-hmm. uh, you know, didn't look horribly bad against Miami the week before. Kind of looked bad against Central Arkansas, but it was the first game of the year. So, yeah. And then obviously you've got UTSA, who are three and zero. Do we? I, I think that. Uh, Frank Harris is a game time decision at this point, but but Josh mm-hmm. Atkins looked pretty good too, right? Like he didn't look bad. I was gonna say, is it weird that I'm like not concerned about that at all? I, I mean, like I, think, I, I don't think that line would move either way if he was healthy or not. I could see it moving like a point, but like I, uh-huh. I don't see it moving anything significant because I mean the thing is right. Like I think that UTSA wants Frank Harris because he can be more dynamic, right? Like sure, sure. I, I think that that's why they made the decision but like i'd say that frank harris and not josh adkins are as different as two players can be but are also about the same caliber of player Mm -hmm. and um and again like like frank harris can have more breakout 
moments and plays, but but I do think that I do think that you feel fine about UTSA's quarterback situation as long as it's one of those two guys. Now you gotta you gotta lull Narcisse and then we have to have a conversation. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I do agree that I don't think it would move that much. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, this is this is obviously UTSA's first kind of real test in Conference USA. They're going against Bill Clark, who's Oh man, one of the the best group of five coaches in the country. Like, is it? I don't think it's an exaggeration to say a top five group of five coach. Like, this right. is this yeah, is a, a well run program. Right. This is a program that literally didn't exist due to a lot of politics a couple of years ago, and he <sighs> just pulled it back up from the depths into becoming one of the most consistent programs. I mean, flat out programs, not even Power Five, yeah. but just like consistent programs. Nobody period. In tell the country. me, nobody tell me uh, to take politics out of sports when. Alabama boosters are shutting down UAB football to try to give right. Alabama more recruits. Come on. Right. Yeah, seriously. So, um, so yeah, no, Bill Clark, I mean, UAB is, is a phenomenal program and Bill Clark's done a phenomenal job. And so I, I'm really curious. I think I want to say UTSA covers. Um, I don't think this is a blowout because I just feel like we've seen UTSA, whether you know whatever we want to say about the second first half second half uh Jekyll and Hyde thing I think that they are a good a well-coached team and I just think that a well-coached team doesn't get blown out in the first week of conference or the second week of conference I should say um because we've again we've seen them play really really well at times and UAB is really good and I think they will win this this will be UTSA's first loss of the season in my opinion but I don't know. Like, there's something about this team that just doesn't strike them as a team that gets blown out right now. Like, next week, we'll talk about next week, right? Next week, we'll get to next week against BYU. But I think that UAB is on another level, but not on another level to where they'll route the Roadrunners. Yeah, and and that's the thing, right? UTSA's played exactly as well as they've needed to play to win the games. And, you know, you would have liked to have seen them play as well as UTSA can play and not as well as, you know, not good enough to just beat Texas state and not just good enough to beat middle Tennessee, but they have clearly been the better team in both of those games. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I mean, that's going to be the big question for me is like, can this team have that for four quarters? And I mean, I think that they can for sure. Right. Like 20 and a half feels like a lot. And, and I do think that, like you said, I mean, this is a team that, has proven that they can have big plays and breakout moments and hold on to the ball and take the ball away from you. So like, I, yeah, I, I definitely think that they do end up covering UAB is just so much further along in program development that I do obviously think that they're going to win, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be, you know, maybe like a 10 point game. Sure. I'm looking right now at the first halves and UTSA has outscored opponents 58 to 21 in the first half so far. They've given up, I think, let me see if I got this right. They have not given up more than 10 points and a half. So they've only given up a touchdown in every single half. And so, like, again, they know how to start and they know how to come out. Basically what that shows me is they know how to execute a game plan and the next step comes when the other team makes an adjustment. Yes. Because they know they know they know exactly what what they show them right away on that they've seen on films. Like, okay, this is what this team does. This is what our counter is. Here's what we do. Then when the other team adjusts, oh crap, what happens? <laughs> oh crap, what's happening? Like that, that's basically what that shows me. And you know, and a lot of it is just running out of gas at times too, with a lot with a lack of depth in some in some areas. Yeah, and that's normal. Um, 
Right, and that's absolutely normal. So, um, yeah, again, I think this is going to be a similar story to where we see that match up fairly well. Maybe take a lead in a halftime, maybe tie, maybe be down, maybe one score. Um, and then, again, that third quarter is going to say a lot. What happens after that? What happens when Bill Clark gets to the chalkboard and says, okay, here's what UTSA is doing. Uh, Frank Harris, you know, maybe can't isn't, isn't as uh, strong of a thrower as we thought. You know, they realize Josh Atkins is the guy and Frank Harris isn't coming in so they can zone in on him, make him uncomfortable in the pocket, you know, things like that. Yeah. So moving on to our next game, we're up to 2.30 on Fox Sports 1, Texas Tech at Kansas State. Okay, this this is an interesting line too. Kansas State only a two and a half point favorite. Really? Yeah. Huh. On the road. Inter- that is interesting. Um... So I think what this comes oh, down yeah, to... Yeah, go ahead. I, I think what this comes down to is what you feel last week said about Texas Tech. Right. If you feel like Texas Tech, uh, you know, in that game proved that they can hang with Texas, then I think that you, you know, you you take them as a team that could beat Kansas State. Um, Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, if you kind of think that, oh, that was just like a crazy Lubbock performance, right, which I think is a reasonable take, uh, you know, I, I think that then you think this isn't a very good team. And, for me, I'd probably say that I fall somewhere in between those two things. I know that that's that's a lazy take, but mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, everybody talked after the game. Um, you know, and I honestly like <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like I, whenever I see casuals talking about uh, the teams that I cover, sometimes I'm like, hold up a minute, I got something to say. But uh, <laughs> but um, you know, for me, a lot of people after the game are like, oh man, same old tech. Play all the offense, can't play defense, and. That's not really what happens. No, no, defense made plays. <laughs> right. The, the defense, actually, I did look this up. And to be clear, all of these, you know, all these yards count, right? Like, I'm not saying that they, they don't count. Right, yeah. The, to this, a certain extent, Tech's defense is going to be what it is. Right. But heading into that last three minutes, Tech had only allowed Texas to gain 350 yards. That's yeah. pretty crazy. And you talk about, uh, you know, you talk about them getting to 41 points. Well, you know, two of those were off of short field because of interceptions, uh, and one was a punt return, right? So that's 21 mm-hmm. points you just gifted them. Like, and again, no defense for for the, the last three drives, obviously. There's, there's no sure. defense. But they also defended for 90 plays, and they're a noticeably shallow unit, right? So, mm-hmm. like, to me, I, looked, I watched that game, and I was like, man, the defense has made some strides and caused some trouble, and their special teams, other than, you know, apparently get Zach McPherson off of a hands team, other than that, they looked really good on defense and special teams, in my opinion, and the offense was something that I need to see more consistency from. Um, you know, look, all that to say, you know, this isn't, this isn't a Tex Tech podcast. Uh, all that to say, <laughs> I think that this team is a team that is good enough to be competitive with mm-hmm. most of the Big 12's teams. Um, I see it as more of a middle-tier Big 12 team instead of a lower-tier Big 12 team, where they were projected coming into the year. And I kind of see Kansas State in the same category. Now, for me, Kansas State is a team that's going to execute more consistently I, I don't think that's a question at this point um yeah. you know they're gonna be what they are every single week whereas with texas tech you don't know what you're gonna see week to week to the same extent um and for that reason i mean i, I think that kansas state I, I think that kansas state is built to take on a team like tech and win uh just because tech will make mistakes and i don't think kansas state will i was about to say based off last week what we and kind of what we've seen in Chris Kleiman's early tenure, Kansas State knows how to make people uncomfortable. 
and traditionally uh, traditionally that's been their mo but now they have like they've done it with just like a crisper nature like it was always like you know traditionally under snyder it was always like just kind of muck the game up and make things muddy and just win the win the mud battle basically um now it's like okay now skylar thompson's actually throwing the ball they can actually move the ball downfield they look like just a crisp unit defensively i mean I'd, I'd never seen an Oklahoma quarterback look that uncomfortable in a while. Yeah. Like, it, I had to go back probably to Jalen Hurts' first half against Baylor, or first quarter probably. <laughs> right, right. And that's right. the only other time that I can remember an Oklahoma quarterback looking that uncomfortable. He was, I mean, they pressured him. He turned the ball over. He just looked so, so, so uncomfortable against Kansas State last week. Um, and they, I think they had a punt block as well. Like they were just making plays. And like you said, like they don't turn the ball over themselves. And the fact that Skylar Thompson's looked this good as a passer, like so far, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that spells a lot of trouble. You mentioned it. Like tech is a team that, or specifically Alan Bowman is a quarterback who's going to give you the good and the bad, right? He's going to throw for 500 yards, but possibly have two to three picks with it. And against a team like Kansas State who's not going to give you the ball, um, that's a problem. And I, I just think that last week we saw an Oklahoma team who can fire on all cylinders and still be in the game regardless of turning the ball over. I That's not Tech. Tech's going to turn the ball over and get in a hole quickly. Yeah, and I, I do have to say, like, the big concern for me for last week, again, wasn't wasn't the defense. Uh, to me, sure, it, no, no. It, was, it was that when... Texas disguised anything, like the tiniest mm. thing. I mean, Alan Bowman never caught it. Never. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, I do think that this offense is obviously a fairly quick read offense. You know, there. I don't think he's having to do a lot of progressions necessarily. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it was both of uh, both the interceptions I remember um, were just him staring at a at a spot on the field and a Texas safety just being like, "All right, that's mine," you know, like yeah. <laughs> and so that's something that has to get better. Uh, it can get better, and I also think that um, I also think that David Yost is a good enough coordinator to scheme around it. But Kansas State is going to be one of those teams that's going to disguise some things, and I am not the most optimistic that Alan Bowman's going to be ready for that. Right, and um, we. You talk about, or we, I think we talked about it last uh, last week on the Sunday pod about it. Was like, how many of those successful drives for Tech were just good field position? Yep. Right. There were like there were like a couple that started from their like their own twenty around their own twenty, but for the most part, it was the UT ten. I'm looking at it right now. The UT ten, the UT forty nine, the Tech forty four. Like <laughs> it was like really good field position. There's yep. like oh, like then they can just punch it in from there, which isn't a bad thing, right? You no, should no, obviously no, no, want to no. punch in punch that in but i mean again when kansas state doesn't turn the ball over you're not going to have those good positions all the time yeah apparently uh my role this year is going to be as the texas tech defensive apologist so uh, (laughs) good Good. for me i was just saying i was about to say good luck with that (laughs) good luck all right uh speaking of teams that are not prepared for this texas a&m at alabama 2 30 p.m on cbs texas a&m so sorry is a 17 point underdog I will take that as a win if I'm Texas A&M because we thought <laughs> this game would be coming in November. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I. Oh. What's your early read on this game? Because I, I don't. I'm trying to find. I'm trying to think of good things. So, it absolutely freaking sucks 
that uh, Texas A&M's schedule got turned on its head because yeah. uh, their next three games are against number two Alabama, number three Florida, number 16 Mississippi State. That sucks. Mm. That really freaking sucks. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't know what Texas A&M does better than Alabama, right? Because I think that... I think that Alabama's defense against Missouri didn't look amazing. Like they looked, mm-hmm. they looked fine. Um, you know, I, I think that their skill talent looked very good, but not like you know they didn't tear Missouri apart. But I just don't, especially based off of last week, right? Like if if we were just going into the season on this game, I wouldn't feel as terrible. But mm-hmm. oh man, like I. A&M looked so bad last week against Vanderbilt and you will I think have some more skill talent get into the game you know I think we'll see Demond Demas this week I think we'll see uh mm-hmm. you know Moose Muhammad this week we'll see Devin Ache in this week like I think we'll see them but oh if you had trouble against Vanderbilt's defensive backs uh you know A&M wide receivers I I don't know about this one I was gonna say like we talk about we talked about uh Vanderbilt's defense being good and it is good like that is the strength of their team that is the strength of Derek Mason's uh tenure there but boy do we have bad news about uh, Alabama's defense um (laughs) so yeah I don't know like I guess the one caveat is that you know, we did also bring up the when we were discussing AM in the offseason, we were kind of bringing up the fact that if you had to get Bama, maybe you did want to get in Bama and LSU, you did want to get them early on in the year, even though Bama was probably the team you didn't want to get because Mac Jones did play some games last year and, and looked pretty good, and, and Najee Harris still looks like a machine. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, Good luck against Jalen Waddle. <laughs> That's about all I can say. Yeah, um, and, and I will mention uh, he hasn't he didn't play last week against Vanderbilt, but Elijah Blades, uh, who was projected as a guy who could be A and M's top cornerback, has opted out mm. of the season to prepare for the NFL draft. Uh, he he's, so he's good luck like, against Jalen Waddle. <laughs> right uh, now, I will. I mean, like Blades only played like six games at AM. Uh, I right, right. I hope that he's not getting bad advice. I mean, he, he was like the number one corner in America coming out of Juco. So like he is a player, mm-hmm. right? But wow, it is uh, it is weird timing to, to say the least. And yeah, I, I, like you said, I mean, it, I think that AM's defense looked pretty good last week, but I mean, you're kind of assuming that AM's defensive line is going to get kind of neutralized by Alabama's right. offensive line. Um, just because, you know, they, they looked good, not great against uh, Vanderbilt's offensive line. And I do think they'll be much better this week. Um, you know, obviously linebackers, we talked about with the opt-out of Anthony Hines. And, and the defensive backs looked good, but, like, there were still pockets there against AM's defense last week that Ken Seals was able to take advantage of. And I don't think that Mac Jones is that special, obviously. Like, sure, I think sure. He's, he's not. I mean, Bryce Young was in the game a little bit too. Like, they. Yeah. I don't think they're a hundred and fifty percent comfortable with Mac Jones no. or solidified on him starting the whole season. I, I don't think he will. I think by the end of the year, Bryce Young will be starting. And good yeah. news, you don't have to face Bryce Young at least at this point. I mean, we did see kind of a, a similar thing. Actually, I think this is a good comparison. We did see this a little bit uh, two years ago when A&M played mm-hmm. against Clemson and Kelly mm-hmm. Bryant started the game and Trevor Lawrence finished the game. Now, right. the difference is I don't think that I don't think that A&M is going to take it down to the wire and uh and again like just because this 
every conversation about Tex A&M becomes about this. Uh, I don't think this is because Kellen Mom's not good enough. <laughs> you know, I yeah. think I think that Alabama has too many good defensive linemen. I think that Alabama is going to be able to stop A&M's defensive line. And again, I just need to see a lot more. Like not not a little more. I need to see a lot more from Texas A&M's receivers if I'm going to believe that they have any chance of even like keeping this close or competing with Alabama. Yeah. I, I got nothing else to add to that. It's um, the hope is that you, I mean, I don't know. The hope is that you, this is the game where you can disrupt Mac Jones enough to where Alabama's like, uh, Bryce Young, get in there. Right. Like see, you know, make him make, make him make enough mistakes, which I don't think he's a clumsy quarterback. He's just kind of okay. And so, and, and also hoping that this is a, you know, this is a decent game for Kellen Mond because obviously last week was not that great for anybody on offense. Um, but you do know that Kellen Mond has some talent and some ability in him and to occasionally flash in these big games. Yeah, and, and I will say that, right? Like, Kellen mm-hmm. Mond has been the reason that A&M has been competitive in or won almost every big game they've been in last season, right? It's like, right. or the last couple of seasons, right? He did it against mm-hmm. Clemson uh, two years ago. Uh, he did it against Auburn last year. He did it against Alabama last year. He did it against Georgia last year. Like, he was the reason. Like, he is, that, that, that's the thing that I think becomes so frustrating when people talk about Kellen Mond and talk about, you know, how inconsistent he is, is that his inconsistency has been consistent against good teams. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the one thing that I'll say is that those pretty good performances have absolutely not been on the road. And so. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, I hope that everybody has fun, gets some exercise. So uh, moving on. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Jalen Waddle's going to get a lot of exercise. He's going to get a lot of exercise. <laughs> he might get some 100 yard sprints in. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, you know, we talked about this game with Damon Sales, the game of the weekend, in my opinion, SMU versus Memphis, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN2. I forgot to write down the line, so uh, you can go ahead and start talking about it while I look it up. <laughs> yeah, we talked, uh, I mean, I put, I pitched the question to Damon Sales a little bit. You know, what is SMU kind of looking at with Memphis? Because last year, Brady White had a big game, but a lot of that had to do with SMU keying on guys like Kenneth Gainwell. And um, and obviously, he's opted out for the year. So, you know, now that they know... I know they're running back at 100 yards last week against um, against Arkansas State. So, obviously, there's some talent there, but there's still, like, kind of an air of mystery as to what they got going in the backfield. So... Who exactly, how much does game planning just for Brady White, you know, how how much precedent does that take as far as um, kind of making them one-dimensional or kind of maybe depending on them to be one-dimensional versus how much you can, uh, how much leeway you can give to somebody like, I'm trying to think of the running back's name right there, right now. I had it earlier. Uh, Rodriguez Clark. Um, How much you can game plan for him based off his one game against Arkansas State? Right, right. And I don't think that we learned hardly anything about what Memphis is going to be against Arkansas State. Uh, Arkansas mm-hmm. State's a good team. You know, they're not sure. they're not a fantastic team, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so I, I kind of look at this game, and um, I'm, I'm going to take it back to last year a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. it was in so many ways the game of the year. 54-48 uh, at Memphis. I mean, you know, SMU, it, was it lived up to all the hype. Like we were talking all, about as the, the biggest, ge- the biggest group of five. Right. Yeah. Biggest group of five game of the year. Yeah. And the thing that stuck, uh, that stuck with me after last year, right. They had 
so many guys who just went crazy. Like, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, DeMonte Coxie was, was the one, you know, 143 yards, two touchdowns. And I believe he was the uh, the kick return. No, 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 no. Antonio Gibson. That's right. That's right. Antonio mm-hmm. Gibson absolutely mm-hmm. destroyed SMU last year. Three carries mm-hmm. for 97 yards. That's stupid. Uh, six <laughs> catches for 130 yards and a touchdown. And in addition to that, uh, three kick returns for 159 yards, including a touchdown. Right. So like, right. So he's in the NFL. So it's like, again, so it's, it's, it's another, it's another one of those guys where it's like, how much was it just like, I don't know, like how much, how, what goes into the game plan again? Right. He's like, that guy's gone. Kenneth Gainwell's gone. What else does Memphis have besides Brady White now? So I would imagine that the primary game plan will go towards trying to take away DeMonte Coxie because he was the guy who mm-hmm. really killed SMU last year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I think that SMU should feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're going to need to bring some help. But, like, I think that SMU needs to feel like they're okay beating uh Memphis's run game with six or seven, right? Like, I, I think mm-hmm. that you need to feel like you're okay doing that. Cause, cause like you mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, this kid that they got, he's a good player, but, but he's not as proven as some of these other guys. He's not Brady White, sure. right? He's not DeMonte Coxie. Uh, he's not even, um, do they still have Joey Magnifica? No, I think he's in the NFL or uh, at, at the next level now. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, they have an endless stream of guys. And so I think you need to try to make Rodriguez Clark beat you. Um, now, that's a very dangerous thing to say because Memphis sure. beats you with the running backs all the time. The thing I'll say right. on the other side, though, is that I think, you know, I, I said this on the podcast uh, over the weekend. Obviously, you don't have the surefire stars the same way uh, other than Reggie Robertson, uh, you know, but that you had last year with Xavier Jones and with James Prochet. Mm-hmm. But... I think that this year's skill talent is a lot deeper than it was last year. You know, I sure. think I think you go three deep at receiver with guys who will play in the NFL in Danny Gray, Reggie Robertson, and Rasheed Rice. And I think you have two running backs who are going to be all conference type guys by the time they finish there in TJ McDaniel, who's a little bit more of the power back with some breakaway speed, and Ulysses Bentley, who is just a speed demon. Right, who's actually mm-hmm. at this moment uh, leading the nation in rushing yards? Now, obviously, what does that even mean right now with uh, with everybody playing different games? Obviously, we can give that context, but you know, a guy who's had fantastic games so far uh, through the first couple of weeks of the year. So, I think it's obviously going to be a shootout. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I do think that SMU this year, as opposed to last year, I, I think that they actually have more weapons on offense right now than Memphis has. Which is, I mean, right. not, not many teams could say that, right? I mean, Memphis, yeah. Sale- Memphis is freaky. Yeah, Sales also mentioned TQ Jackson, former four-star wide receiver out of Richardson, uh, former Arkansas uh, wide receiver. I believe he was. Let me see. I'm looking this up. Right. Yeah, he was a trailer target. So Jeff Trailer was his primary recruiter. Um, and I believe he might be their biggest receiver since Cortland Sutton. He's six four, almost two hundred. Like that is a huge target to add to an already athletic group. Um, so who knows? You know who who knows how much he's going to be involved. But again, you meant you just mentioned depth. Like that's just another guy they can just add, right? They can just add a four star six four wide receiver who was good enough to play in the SEC. Like it's like <laughs> all right, cool. Let's just throw him in there now. And you know, again, they might not have a game breaking Prochet yet. 
but they have a bunch of guys to where you're not just hoping that him and Roberson do something, right? You can you can obviously key, uh, uh, Roberson's your go-to guy, but you can also spread the ball to so many other guys. Definitely. And uh, again, look, <laughs> we're not going to bet against Shane Bouchel. We just won't do yeah, it. No, so, I, will take, I will take SMU in this one. Yes, I will take SMU to win outright. I'll be there on Saturday. Uh, I know that there's a lot of good games happening this Saturday. I know Anna for Alabama is on. Look, if you ask me, uh, tune this. Yeah, turn this one on. <laughs> this is the game. At least, at least for the fourth quarter, turn this game on. Right, like maybe watch the right, game right. Uh, earlier. But like, I th- I think this one could go bananas. So definitely. Uh, moving on, uh, North Texas versus Southern Miss, six thirty p.m. on uh, Stadium. North Texas is a <laughs> one and a half point favorite heading into this one. Oh, that's disrespectful. Um, or well, maybe not. I don't know. Based on last week, uh, who knows? Who knows anything? Yeah, I was about. To, yeah, I was this about to say who, who knows. knows bowl. <laughs> This is seriously just because I mean, again, you got a you got a feature coming up on SM, uh, Southern Mrs. Uh, coach right now, yes. um, just because their whole situation is just one big shrug emoji. Um, but also, North Texas is kind of one big shrug emoji, so it might balance out. I have no read on this game. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so here's the deal, right? Um, Southern Miss in their first game under uh, under Scotty Walden, their new interim head coach. Uh, they took uh, Louisiana Tech to the distance. Like it took a crazy, crazy turn of events. I don't know if you remember that game. That was the one where uh, where they scored on fourth down. On oh, the that's right. right. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So for people who don't know, um, Louisiana Tech was literally facing fourth down and goal. Yes. They were down six points, and they the quarterback probably could have run into the end zone, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> he throws it to the very back of the end zone. And a guy gets a toe in before his heel hits, scores a touchdown. It's it's insane. Just absolutely insane. And so, uh, obviously, <laughs> Southern Miss takes that one as a loss. Last week they played Tulane. Tulane's a good team, whatever it happens. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't really know. Obviously, with... Um, Obviously, with North Texas, they looked really good against an FCS team and then really bad against <laughs> SMU. Um, yep. So, I, I guess... If North Texas wins, how do they win? Uh, well, also I gotta figure who's who's gonna be quarterback, because um, Jason Bean did not look right. good against SMU at all. Um, I w- I guess I would have to give the nod to Asinani based on last week, right? Like the yeah. offense just looked better. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious, right? Because I think that I think that for SMU, I mean, sorry, not for SMU, for North Texas. Um, mm. You know, you look at Jason Bean, and Jason Bean was a guy who, when he had time and when he had guys running free and when he had receivers who could win matchups, like, sure. he, he dominated, right? Like, I think right. he's the high upside guy, whereas Austinani looks more prepared to deal with good defenses. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, now, the question for me, and that's why this is kind of an interesting game, too, is the question for me becomes, are Conference USA defenses good enough to stop what Jason Bean does? Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I don't know if I know the answer to that, right? Um, I would say yes. I, I would lean towards yes, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, yeah. You know, but I, I think that we could see both quarterbacks in this game. I mean, it, I, I don't think that this competition is settled. I do think that we probably... Hmm. Who do you think? Yeah, I don't know who we see first. The, I think we see Ani first. Okay. I think Latrell lets him roll. 
Um, cause he did, I mean, again, nobody really looked great last week for North Texas, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he did, he did look clearly better. And I think that he, I think you got to keep that rolling. I think you got to keep that rolling until somebody, he, he feels like this feels like a hot hand situation, right? We saw that in week one where obviously Jason Bean just looked like the hotter hand in that game. Um, and they rolled with him for more, for most of the game. And I think you just got to keep that going because until Asanani does something catastrophic, I don't, or until tech or uh, excuse me, uh, North Texas needs something different. Um, I think you got to keep that going. So I, I think Asanani starts the game. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if he finishes it too, just plays the whole game. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's obviously that rip cord that you can, you have in your back pocket um, because also here's one thing. Southern Miss's offense has looked fine. Like, their offense has looked pretty okay. Yeah. Uh, they haven't lit in the world on fire, but for a team that's, again, lost its head coach like a week before the season started, like, they've looked fairly stable as far as their offense is concerned. They just obviously can't stop anyone or shut anyone down, so it becomes kind of a shootout, which North Texas might prefer. Who knows? Yeah. No, and that's the thing. is that I think if it does become a shootout, I think that North Texas is in a good position. And, and honestly, I do think that... I think that Southern Miss's offense could be the best unit on the field. Um, sure. But I think that North Texas defense is probably they more can come up with come up with the few stops that would be needed. Right. I'm going to give North Texas the edge in this game. I think it's going to be really close. I think uh, I think it's going to be a very long game with how much both these teams want to pass the ball. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, seriously. But I do think that I do think North Texas has a little bit more talent on both sides. Uh, even though I mean Southern Miss does have the best quarterback on the field in Jack Abraham. So mm. it, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I don't have a great read for this game, but I'm going to give North Texas a slight edge. I will too. Awesome. Well, hey, that's pretty much do it for us. Thanks to everybody for listening. As always, you can become a subscriber at texfootball.com slash subscribe. Find all of our work at texfootball.com. Find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Find us on Twitter at DCTF. For Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan J. Raja. Have fun this weekend, and we'll be back with you guys again on Sunday.